Hi, this is Deb, host of Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I'm happy to speak to Susan Fenston. Susan is an author, publisher, artist, and a paranormal and UFO enthusiast. Her book, You Have a Soft Voice, Susan, is her true tale on online stalking experience. Susan is the creator of unique ink paintings of extraterrestrials. She recently graciously donated one of her pieces for the Paws Middle Georgia charity. Welcome, Susan. I'm so happy to see you today. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm thrilled because I feel like you just have so much going on. You have um, artistry and you're an author. And yeah, you've been really interested in the paranormal for a long time. So thank you for coming. Happy to be here. So one thing I noticed today is when um, DJ promoted this chat, he said you were Mm -hmm. a lifelong UFO enthusiast. Um, Is that accurate? Well, life would be all my life. And it's it's not all my life, but it's a lot of it. It just sort of just happened. I think a lot of people are just in UFOs and it's a, it's a natural thing. Pondering the universe. We see it in the media, movies, books, science, science fiction. I loved science fiction when I was in high school. I read a ton of Ray Bradbury and all that great stuff. And um, I, I would just consider myself an open-minded person. And it wasn't until I went to Arizona Uh, I'm from New York and I never really been out of the tri-state area until I was like 22. I went out to to Tucson, Arizona for a month and a half and then drove back across country and went upstate to be part of a, uh, an art, like an art colony upstate in Chautauqua, New York, where I was studying and um, working in a, in a hotel and, you know, paying my way and just like, you know, an adventure, art adventure. And I remember when I got out to Tucson, I was talking to somebody who had grown up there. And the first thing I asked, and I wasn't really obsessed with UFOs, but I just, the first thing I thought of was like, have you ever seen a UFO? I mean, think about this would be the place, (laughs) Arizona, the desert. And she's like, yeah, we, we see things like this all the time. They're not, it's not that unusual. I was like, really? I want to, I really hope I get to see something. And she described this large, enormous, silent floating thing that would fly over the city like early in the morning. And I mean, I thought, well, yeah, this, this would be the place, but for all my looking at my star, looking at the stars and thinking about it, nothing ever really actually happened. Um, But it wasn't until I, I left, I had a, a strange dream that, um, and this was really what turned out to be my first, very first UFO painting or first UFO inspired painting. I had a dream that I was taken to this very old place and I was being shown all this knowledge and information on a screen. This was 1985, it's a pre-technology era that we lived in. And there was this sort of eyeball-like 
sphere that was projecting this light and water and knowledge and all of this stuff was just like, it was like a gift of knowledge. <clears throat> and it was kind of flowing over me like light, like water. It just seemed like the, the, the wisdom of the, the ages was just being given to me and flowing over me. So I painted a painting of it right away so that I could remember. And I wrote about it in my diary. So it wasn't until just many, many years later that I looked back at that and I thought, well, what does, what did that, all of that really mean? Because I, I put it down for a reason, you know, and I, I made that painting for a reason to remember it. And I remember writing in my diary, like I'm writing this down because I have to come back and think about this some more. It just seems so urgent. But then like all dreams, when you wake up, they just kind of evaporate and they go away and you go on with your day and more thoughts come and go. And you're just swimming through this ocean of thoughts and some get left behind and some are ahead. But when I went back and read my diary, like 20, 30 years later, I, there was things that I'd forgotten that I wrote about <clears throat> in this experience. And joining UFO Twitter was a way for me to you know, reconnect the dots where I'd kind of left off because, you know, my whole UFO education was really done on my own through reading books and writing letters and getting letters in the mail and, and getting books in the mail. It was a very slow, uh, solitary kind of experience. You know, it's, just, it's not that it's a subject that attracts a lot of people. So norm, like most people, like they're going through this like completely alone. Like there's no one to talk to. You're just there you know, staring into this, 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 this thing. So it's, it's, a, it was a, until I started listening to like little bits and pieces of like Grant Cameron talking about download experiences that I was able to kind of maybe put that into a context because there was this whole rush to like abduction, right? Was I abducted? Was I contacted? You know, the whole Whitley Strieber phenomenon came out and, and it really just like, lit up the whole world when you, you know, tapped into yes. something. So I, I, I never really considered that I was abducted in those ways. And it wasn't until many, many years later, like I said, that I was sort of thinking about the download experience that I thought that maybe there is a consciousness outreach that is part of the energy of the earth and the natural order of the earth and all of these invisible forces that are all around us at all times, like gamma rays and cosmic rays and the Earth's magnetism and solar flares. And I think that there's we're in the middle of this kind of like force storm of forces. And I thought, well, maybe that's something that planted an idea in my head. Yeah. Yeah, very, go ahead. It was I was gonna say that it seems like a lot of people are talking about something called the collective consciousness. Yeah. And and I feel like when I look at all these different pieces of this puzzle, everything has a place. Um, nothing actually doesn't fit. So when people talk about the collective consciousness, um, I feel like that might be a part of where we might be getting some of these downloads. And um, before I continue, we have a visitor coming in. Hey! Oh, DJ! Hey, Susan! Happy <laughs> International Women's Day, Miss Susan Fenston. And Miss Deb. 
and the yes. host. Yes. I mean, I was I was doing that was a dramatic pause in case you didn't recognize that, Susan. Dramatic pause. She's she's like, shut up, just get on with it. <laughs> Deb's dad at dojo. Hello. Okay, I'll be quiet now. Back back to back to the lecture at hand. Oh yeah. Well, I was um, gonna say welcome, DJ, host of Calling All Beings. Thank you for joining us. I never heard. Of- Thank you, Debs. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your open invites uh, to come and join you. I'm sure Susan is feeling the love. You have an amazing show um, and an inexplicable connection with all beings. Well, we we were just we were just kind of getting into a discussion about how those beings may be connecting to us. Um, so, and actually it connects to a question that someone had for you, Susan, and I'll go ahead and ask that question because I feel like you touched on this. Um, it was from Jared. Um, I'm going to say Jedi camper. I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. the right way to say it. Okay. Jared. Um, is there a specific project you've made that you felt you were most, you felt you were most contacting the liminal where ideas were coming to you? What did it feel like to follow and receive this inspiration from outside yourself? And I feel like that directly connects to what you were just talking about with that dream. Yeah, that that experience and that painting and that dream was nothing like anything else ever in my entire artistic experience, uh, journeying, learning about UFO experiences. It was so profound that the painting doesn't come anywhere near what it was like. And as I went back to the dream, I went back to my notes. And this is what I always encourage people to do when you have experiences, no matter what they are, even if they're dreams, write it all down, get a diary, get it down because memory is, you know, not always that great, but the pen and ink is always there. And there were things that I had forgotten. And as soon as I reread them, it was like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember this. There was a, you know, a scene where we were in a, and my descriptions about rounded glass in a round room and a woman on a table who I described as an Asian woman in a totally nude body stocking. And when I read that like 35 years after I wrote it down and I thought, wow, what, what does that mean? You know, what was I trying to interpret? I don't think it literally meant there was an Asian woman wearing a nude onesie body stocking on a table. Why would somebody even be on a table? So I am not making any staking claims to what is traditionally thought about and discussed and, you know, argued over what any of this means. But I just want to say I had a brush with something and then I became very psychic and I started becoming very um, precognitive and I had a lot of precognitive dreams. And then I had a very explosive poltergeist experience not long after that. I lived in an apartment that was just alive and I'd never experienced anything like that before. And, you know, I'd lived in a lot of old apartments in the city and you think, well, they must all be haunted, but they're not. And not all places are the same and not all, you know, atmospheres are the same. So just like, and as, 
and as you go and as you learn and you have experiences, you start hearing about other people's experiences. And, and then I started to be amazed to learn that this was part of a, a process, like a step that other people have gone through too. That really blew me away. And that made me feel really good. Like I'm part of a pattern. I'm not mm -hmm. a standalone weirdo. You know, like Yeah. No, you're with other weirdos like Deb and myself, <laughs> actually. Uh, I do. Before we get too far away from it, I just want to point out, and I think Deb and you, Susan, are aware. This is a topic Nathan is really fascinated with, is this... Uh, how should I say it? UFO inspired informed art. And I know if he was here right now, he would yeah. be have his shovel out, his spade shovel, and he'd be digging down on that, uh, on the 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 inspiration, this cross section between art and and the phenomenon. So I'm so glad that you share that, because when he hears it, he's going to be pretty happy about that. So. Um, so I digress. I, Sorry, it's okay. I wanted to share something um, that I had as an experience. Um, when I was a, a child, I had a very vivid dream um, that, you know, I wasn't a very religious person, but I had a dream that Jesus took me to um, some water and showed me the fish in the water. And showed me how some of them were not swimming with the school of fish and informed me that I was going to be different and that I wasn't going to swim with the school. And the reason I bring this up is because in recent years, I've been meditating quite often. And most of those years I spent inside what I called the cave, but it was a very rigid cave. It didn't let me do anything to it. It was always the same. And then recently I decided to try to leave the cave. And one of the first things I saw was that pathway of, to the water that I saw as a kid when I was dreaming. Um, so I've just wondered if you've tried to explore any of this in meditation, any of what Me? happened. Yes. With your dream. Uh, I don't really know how to meditate. Like it's not something I've ever practiced. I, I've considered what that means and I don't really, I've never done it. I've never sat and tried to, tried to do that. I just, I'm always just kind of like thinking like my mind is like a machine. It just like never stops. So I don't know that I could actually completely sit down and clear my mind. Maybe I should try it, but no, I, I never have. I just connect all of this in with just what is just a natural, um, part of like everything that's accessible to me, all the natural order of things that are accessible to me, like my ghost experiences, you know, I don't think of them as horrifying or it's just like, to me, they're just way more interesting. And it's just that getting past the veil, you know, wow, there's, there's something there. There's absolutely something there and it is communicating with us. And I think maybe if you're, if you're good at meditation and you're, and you're good at channeling that, and if you are able to communicate out to that, I think that could be really valuable. I've never tried it, but I know okay. because I've seen and heard. I, I have a question for each of you. You ready, okay, Deb? Okay, go, go for it, DJ. Okay, so first Deb's point because it came first and then Susan's point. So you said that um, relative to the cave, you said I was never able to change it. 
And that struck a chord with me because I'm thinking, oh, I didn't know that in these dreams that you can shape them. So apparently you have in your mind or had in your mind at that. And actually, because you still have these dreams, but um, that you should have been a you wanted to be able to or thought you could manipulate the cave. Okay, so to be clear, um, my meditation is awake. I'm awake oh, when I'm sorry. doing it. Right, yeah. It's it's so and and also I wanted to add that um to to what you said, Susan, meditation doesn't have to be about emptying your mind. Uh and and what what I did was I used this cave to try to have a visual of a place to go to just calm down, right? But it kind of created itself very quickly. It was already there, basically. Um, and I wasn't able to do anything to it, DJ. It was already, it, everything was already in a place. And well, in fact. But you thought you could, which is interesting because you mentioned it. And I just yes. find that, I found that intriguing. Yes, I have thought that it would be what I imagined. And actually, I've made an effort to imagine another place and I failed at it completely. <laughs> Go back to the so, cave. Damn, now, I'm yeah. back here again. Yes, I tried to imagine like a white palace with Asian furniture everywhere because that's what I would have thought would have been a cool place to go sit in, right? Because I love Asian art. Sounds nice. Uh, yes, <laughs> which is why I also really love that you use um, the ink because I love Asian art. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm going to ask also if you use rice paper, but I'll get into that later. Okay. <laughs> I have um, a Susan question too from her last point. Susan, um, what you were talking about earlier about the uh, the ghosts, do you find in that since you've been studying the phenomenon for so long, do are you find or did you find a connection when you were with that uh, the ghosts for or spirits? I'm not sure what we want to call them, and what we would consider other intelligences. <clears throat> This, to me, these the two specific experiences were very different, totally different places, decades apart. I don't have a pattern of finding this wherever I go. It's, it would just seem to be rooted to where it was. These things were just very human. They were part of us. They were part of what's what comes after. That's the impression I got. The first one was a very noisy poltergeist in my Brooklyn apartment um, where I lived for like about six months. Like, you know, back then rent was cheap. You could move around a lot. I mean, you would pick up the village boys. Oh, there's an apartment down the street or oh, there's a, you could just move around. It was a totally different city. It was a totally different world and time. There was a lot more freedom. Um, so moving around a lot was pretty common. And, you know, you didn't like your roommate. You were like, oh, I'm out of here. You know, I'm going to go get a new place. And find this apartment, everything seemed fine. And then I started hearing footsteps uh, walking through the apartment. And of course, you know, the logistics of it, I was in a corner apartment. I'm on the top floor. There's no one above me. I can't hear the footsteps below me. This was clearly coming from inside the apartment. And that went on for quite a while. And it, and I was telling my friends, people weren't believing me but they'd want to come over and hang out and see. <laughs> they would, they'd come over. Like we, I'd make tea. I'd make some really, really strong Scottish black tea. And we would sit in this apartment 
in this drug infested neighborhood with the firehouse right around the corner and the motorcycles going around the block and the prostitutes. And we're sitting in my little haunted apartment, drinking tea until four o'clock in the morning, waiting for like something to happen. And it would never happen like that. But anyway, long story short, I did have a witness to one of the most dramatic events. And it was my boyfriend at the time came to stay over and he wasn't believing me either at all. We were like lie down and we we're about to go to sleep. And we both heard at the same time from the other room <laughs> in the apartment, heavy chains rattling. Like you can imagine like giant ships chains. And after these chains were just rattling, like this long agonizing moan just filled the entire apartment. And he just like shut up. We both shut up and we looked at each other like, for like what seemed to be an eternity, our eyes were just looking at each other like, what was that? And he's like, I'm going to go see what it is. And I was like, don't, I don't want any visual confirmation. Like hearing it was way Scary more than enough. enough. I mean, yeah. but it wasn't the kind of thing where you like run from the house screaming. To me, it was just like plumbing the depths of like the most interesting stuff that there is in the world. Okay. Is what we're dealing with. The unknown and some of this is not always good for you, for your mental health after a while, because you're like, what is that? What am I hearing? Am I, am I hearing things? Am I going crazy? And it does start to like get in there in not the greatest ways. But I, I did have that experience. To me, it was completely human. It was something left over from some life that was very much attached to that apartment. Did not follow me. Thank God. But I, there was no hitchhiker effect uh, with that incident. And the next one was just like a, a curious mist many, 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 many years ago up in Woodstock and uh, an old family house and um, people had died in the house. Family had died in the house. It was a, a house had been in the family a long time and it were dead asleep in the middle of the night, cold winter, cold, silent. And I opened my eyes for just a second, and there was this heavy, milky mist just hovering over the bed, like literally like in our faces, just over us, up against us. He was dead asleep, boyfriend was dead asleep. I'm so tired that I just opened my eyes, I looked at it, and I thought like, well, I can't deal with this right now. Like that was my reaction. I just went Aww. back to sleep. I was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to like, ah, oh, what? You know? You're like Deb telling him, stay out of my house. Yeah. I don't know. I, I definitely can relate to just being like, not right now. I wasn't, I wasn't terrified. I was like, to me, it's part of the natural world. Yeah. This is like, but that, but th do you think there's a connection with the phenomenon? That was the, my original question. Oh, you mean aliens? Yes. No. Okay. No, I, I think it's a I have a different theory on it. I'm going to chime Ooh. in on that. I think it's um, not so much a connection as in the ghosts and the aliens are the same or whatever. But I think it's a connection of our ability to perceive um, our uh, ability to pick up on these things. Mm -hmm. We're picking up on that and we're starting to pick up more and more on um, other phenomenon, which we could say is, you know, 
interdimensional. We could say it's extraterrestrial. We, we still don't really know. We only have hope of what it could be, right? Um, so I feel like it's more about our ability to tune in. And I think that that's something that's increasing over time. And maybe something we used to have all the time because it sounds yeah. like we had a lot more contact back in the day and then it, now it's perhaps coming back. I think we are receptors and our brains are processors and we're just processing what is, I mean, where is the mind? Where is consciousness? I don't know. I don't have the answer. It's a great question. I loved thinking about this stuff. I just don't know. I think that being um, open, awake, receptive, looking at things always, open to things always, um, you're going to come across a lot of things because there are a lot of things to come across. And I think that there's tiers and levels and there's underworld and there's outer world. And I think that they're all different. Like, you know, the way all the creatures of our world inhabit our, our world, the monkeys and the whales and everybody's all different, but we're all connected. So I think that's kind of the way it is, but there's something about the UFO phenomenon that, you know, is just extra, right? It's that <laughs> this is extra interesting. I mean, human beings are interesting, but when you're talking about intelligences that are, we've, we've heard, we've read the books, mm -hmm. we're in it up to our eyes. We, you know, I mean, I've never seen a flying saucer, but I will tell you they are real. And all of this is real. And we are just struggling to deal with this thing that's just impressing into our reality and out and has far more reach than we do. And I've heard people describe things that they've seen that have materialized and dematerialized is that that reality seemed stronger than this one, you know, hmm. which is sort of hmm. interesting. Like, wow, there's a real power to that, you know, when they can bridge into our world, you know, they're not exactly sitting down and having tea with us, you know, like Alice in Wonderland. They're, I, I just don't know. I mean, you hear the negative stories, you hear the positive stories. And I think all of us in our hearts and our minds, we kind of gravitate to what satisfies us the most. Some people want to be afraid. Some people just want to feel love. And then there's that contradiction of mm -hmm. all this love talk from these cold, emotionless beings, what are they talking about when they're talking about love? You know, what does a praying mantis know about love? And who are all these other creatures? I'm I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, we are just at the very beginning. And I think all of us are part of the, the part of that new era of what is coming. You know, this is the groundwork. You know, all of the, the ones, you know, all the, the peeps who came before us, you know, all the homies that aren't going to see the day. We may not see the day, but it's it's coming. Something is real. It's absolutely real. And uh, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see think more we of will. it. I think we will. I think, you know, I know we keep hearing the government's locking down on us, but I think that they're, it's unavoidable. I think it's so pervasive. So many more people are paying attention. 
Uh, just the act of looking up at the sky alone is mm -hmm. like more people are looking up and paying yeah. attention now. They're going, hmm, is today the day I too will get to see something. You but know, think about all of those military guys out on those planes in the Navy that, are, that have said that we see those every day. We see them every week. We watch them for we years. We watch them. I want to be on that boat. I really, I want, don't you? I want to be on that boat. I want yeah. to. But like, yeah. it's amazing how. Yes, I know. That doesn't like break out <laughs> from there. This is such a tremendous event. Right. And, tremendous. And I, I, yeah, I want to say I'm going to say no to being on the boat because I think that those particular objects are getting a little too close. They're attracted to the nuclear stuff, and they're getting a little close, and they are dangerous for us. Um, I would much prefer to, you know, have just something land because when it's off, apparently it's not dangerous, <laughs> and then I'll go up and talk. <laughs> That's They'll what be, I want to do. Hey, <laughs> can, can you guys shut it down, and then I'll approach. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, but 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 I hear so many stories about like people should not be going over and trying to touch these things while they're in motion. Um, and that's just kind of common sense. It's sort of like going in front of a train. Um, right. But but I would Shooting I would like them. Yes, that's terrible. Oh, what a mistake. <laughs> you know. But you know, I think we will get um, with the upcoming report in October. I think we're going to get more information about that, um, what's going on with the military for sure. I think we're going to get little bit trips and drabs. I mean, are they really going to sit down and here's the men, you guys. Here's the beings. Here's, here's where they're from. Here's what they want. Here's what so. you're going to do. I don't think it's going to, I just don't think it's going to be like that. I just don't know. I think that, there's so much more at play than that. And it really goes far beyond what our military wants and the power of our countries uh, want and all the desire for, for weapons and flying carpets and everybody, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really not interested in the machinery at all. I want to know who they are and what are they about? I want to know their history. I want them to tell us our history, but is that really going to happen? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, it keeps you sharp. I mean, it, this thing gets into your mind and it just keeps you, mm -hmm. keeps you gripped. I mean, I can't believe there are people who aren't interested in it. Yeah. I, th I think that when you were talking about your dream, um, it made me think of um, Dr. Pasolka from American Cosmic talking about, you know, kind of like the calling, right? And that's like a, a, a switch is flipped, right? And a lot of people experience that. And everyone tells me about something that pulls them in. And it's different for everybody. It sounds like your dream was part of you being pulled in. Um, oddly enough, I was interested in a lot of other paranormal stuff, but wasn't really as into UFOs because to me, it was just like, that's natural also. It's just mm -hmm. what it is. In fact, sometimes, I won't lie, sometimes it's hard to be enthusiastic and I'm like, why are we bending over backwards about something that's just the equivalent of whales, you know? <laughs> like, it's because it's the same. It's so natural to me, right? Um, but yeah, everyone, everyone, some people have sightings that, that pulls them in. I feel like that's what happens. The, the switch is just flipped. 
Speaking of switches, I was talking to somebody just a couple of weeks ago or so about we're not we don't know each other through UFOs or about UFOs. It's a, a producer who's working on developing a podcast for my book, and uh, she took a look at my Twitter account and you know she's read my book twenty times. She's you know she and I have been very much enmeshed and talking about this project, and this is an aspect of my myself that she didn't know about. And she's like, "Wow, you're really interested in UFOs," and I was like, "Yeah." And I asked her, I said, have you ever seen one? She's like, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> wow, how come I didn't have that experience? And she said that, where was this? I forget where. It was either California. It was somewhere on the West Coast. And she and her brother were out playing somewhere. And all of a sudden, they looked up. And there was a, a disc. She said, a metal flying saucer disc just there out of nowhere. And then it was there for a while. And then it just, it just disappeared. And when she looked back, she wanted to look away, but she, cause she was afraid she wanted to look away, but she didn't want to, because she said, if she looked back and it wasn't there, so she didn't want to take her eyes off of it. And that's why everyone's like, well, why didn't you take a picture? Cause like I, people don't want to take their eyes away because yeah. it's so enrapturing. And she, as soon as she turned away to look at her brother and she looked back again, it was gone. And she said the funniest thing about that was that it was just so amazing. And she and her brother never talked about it again. Now, when people say that, it's like, I hear that a lot, you know. Yeah, it was just this overwhelming, like almost spiritual moment, like sheepers, creepers. And then you don't talk about it again? Like, yeah, they don't. They That's even a that funny moment. thing, and it's consistent throughout a lot of yes. accounts. Like, why? Yeah, and I actually spoke to a therapist about that recently. It's almost like they almost don't remember. It's almost like they're in a fog or something afterwards. And then a cue is what some people call it. I think Preston Dennett called it a cue triggers it. And and the guy, um, he's an actor. I just spoke about him. He was talking about, he saw the Phoenix lights. He reported the Phoenix lights. Um, Kurt Russell. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. And he didn't remember it for like two years. He had mm -hmm. done it. He reported it. He didn't remember it. And then something on the news popped up and he goes, Oh, that's what I saw. And then he's like, why didn't I remember that for like years? Yeah. Yeah. Kurt's a pilot. So he was flying. Uh, at that time, I, he must have landed at some airfield in Phoenix. I also heard a narrative about that one where I, I don't know if they were F-16 pilots from Luke Air Force Base that took off either F-16 or F-15. I know Luke to have F-16s, but in any case, they took off and uh, some of the uh, crew chiefs that caught those airplanes when they landed and parked said they looked, you know, like, I hate to use this, white as a ghost because we were just talking about the connection between ghosts and the phenomenon. But yeah, but said that they looked uh, they looked rather startled and unusual uh, exiting the aircraft. Yeah, so, so it's, it, I, since you were saying, Susan, that you're kind of, you kind of went through the process of maybe I was abducted, you might be in the same place as me, just kind of waiting for that cue, waiting for which cue is going to unlock something else. Yeah, you know, I mean, there, it, I guess it's like a Rorschach in some ways. I mean, sometimes if something is so big and so vast, you can almost just kind of hook something into it somewhere along the way and say, yeah, I had a similar experience to that. And maybe that meets up with what my expectations are, or what this phenomenon is. You know, I had 
massive nosebleeds when I was a kid, like inexplicable. And this is something I've read about, like that, that nosebleeds in children and like in the phenomenon is like closely linked. And I thought, how would that happen? Because I'm from Manhattan, right? And I thought, flying saucers just don't land in Spanish Harlem on my roof and come down into my apartment where my second grade little body is lying in bed with a massive nosebleed. Like, I just couldn't, like, connect that. But You know what, Susan? They might land in Spanish Harlem. You want to get takeout from Rails? <laughs> you know, if you want to get takeout from Rails, you got to go to Spanish Harlem. If they and even wanna, the phenomenon yeah. knows this. They know this. That's a reason to come to Earth. Yeah. And to I mean, stay for a while. the best possible. Absolutely. So, uh... so, so look, I guess I, I just don't know. And I think I'm open to any possibility. Are they just putting us on like an, on a blast? Is there some sort of like EMP pulse that goes out through consciousness that takes in like a Ooh. net certain lights in our humanity, certain people, certain souls that are open and receptive, do they pulse? And if somebody responds, I mean, it becomes a personal experience for the experiencer, or is it something far more dramatic, like beings at your bed, floating you out of a window, taking you into a, you know, that I... I would just be so overwhelmed. I think that would just be so overwhelming to reality to think about that, that, that type of situation. Meanwhile, Debs is like, I hope it happens before bed tonight (laughs) because if I can squeeze this in before I, well, I will say once I like started um, just embracing all of this and like it it was, you know, it's kind of weird and I'm like more open about this now. A lot of people have heard me say this. I'd, I'd seen a UAP, right? I'd seen one, but it just, again, it was so normal to me. And I've, I've spoken to someone who said that that probably means you've seen them before. Um, that it just wasn't weird to me. Um, there's other things um, that happened in my childhood that are really strange that could line up. Um, and so maybe, like I said, I'm waiting for a cue, but, um, can you describe what you saw? Not clearly. Um, I know that I did the checklist when I was looking at it. Um, I know that it was not a typical flying saucer. It wasn't round like that on the bottom. It was more complicated. Um, and it, the closest shape I've seen is a little bit like, um, what is what is that craft that you use in the water to go really fast? It's like a two-person at the most craft. It's like a little motorbike almost on the water. What is that called? A jet, jet ski? ski. Yeah, so it had more of that shape, but lo- much bigger. And it was, you know, no no propellers at all. It was just sitting there, not moving, not doing anything, near an airport. Um, Symmetrical? Yeah, but I like, but not. It had that bump in the front. It was oh, interesting. Like it was like bump like that. You know, I'm I I can't listeners. I'm sorry, I can't do the hand gesture for you. So, but 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 it wasn't. It wasn't like the bump was in the middle. You know, I remember just thinking that was asymmetrical, asymmetric. Yeah, but but it but it was it was um I think it was more oval, um and I can tell you it was white silver like really bright 
um, white with like a silvery metallic look to it. And it was just sitting there. Like I said, it was there for a while. Um, was it at night? Was it in the It was daytime? The, during the daytime. day. It was during the day. Um, and the reason I was looking in the sky is because um, things fly pretty low in that airport. Um, it's just a little airport um, in Maryland. And sometimes things would fly right over the car. <laughs> like, well, because I would be driving my clients like every week, every week I would go back and forth. And sometimes things fly right over overhead. So I look in the sky whenever I go past the airport and I caught this just sitting there. And um, it really wasn't my only experience. Um, but I guess, you know, like you said, <clears throat> sometimes it could just be uh, we're just like we, we catch on to something and then we're kind of roped in, you know, like they're like, oh, you noticed us. <laughs> we're going to we're going to have some words with you now. <laughs> that could be it. I like that whole pulse thing that I, I hadn't heard anyone say it quite like Susan did. Well, I'd never really thought of it before. Yeah. I'm just kind of like spitballing it here as like ideas or trying, as I'm trying to explain, you know, what I think is a possibility. And it's just like a big email blast. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. humans, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to enlighten you somewhere. And, um, it, it's I can't I I can't imagine going through life without wonder and about without wondering all of this stuff you know like right. it's just been the greatest asset to my life and I had so many difficulties dealing with people and and my interest in UFOs because like they just laugh at you you know I've been called everything like from medieval to um, I don't know it's just like UFOs when they weren't cool. That's when I'm, and that's when I was like really into them. And everyone was like, "Why do you think about that? That's so 1970s." I'm like, "No, but it's so interesting." What's it's so wrong now. With you? Yeah. Um, when I got my first job in publishing in 1989, I worked in the publicity department ah! <laughs> of uh, Doubleday Publishing. Yes, and, I got um, it. One of my jobs was dealing with the author mail, and mail would come in. It was a big publishing house, Doubleday Publishing. We got mail all the time, people writing to authors. And um, it just occurred to me, like, I didn't know that you could write to authors. It's like, I didn't know you could do that. So the first author that I wrote to was John Keel, because I had read The Mothman Prophecies. So I thought, well, I'm going to, got the address of his publisher. I wrote him in a handwritten note on lined notebook paper and um, sent it in. To, it, you know, the thing about mail, you know, back, back in those days, you put the mail in the mailbox and then, you know, you have to really wait. You know, time mm -hmm. goes by, the, the, the mail lands on someone's desk, it sits there and then it gets shuttled over here. He called me on the phone. I came home. I was having a really lousy day. I checked my answering machine. It was like, dude. Hi, this is John Keel. Uh, you wrote me a letter. And I was like, oh my God, he's calling me. John Keel is calling me. Oh. I mean, it was like to me at the time, and it, I guess even this time too, it would be like like Mick Jagger calling you, like, like the most important person in your world. <laughs> it's like calling you on the phone. Anyway, we had a, I called him back. 
we had a long talk on the phone and um, he wanted to know all about my ghost experience. And I was like, ghosts? I mean, who cares about ghosts? Everybody sees ghosts. I want to hear about UFOs. I want to hear about aliens. And, you know, he didn't, he was like, not, he wasn't like, he didn't call me up to say, okay, here, Susan, here's the book of truth. I'm going to read you page two, you know, and here's all the real deal here. I mean, it just, just that's not the way any of this works. So we had a great conversation. I joined the New York Fordian Society and went to meetings every month. And um, anyway, after my phone conversation with John Keel, um, I, my phone started getting this beeping sound on it. I was on other calls with friends. These are old dial-up rotary copper wire phones. <laughs> and I'm talking to a friend and it, there was this intermittent beep, very lonely, very far away sound. It almost sounded like it was coming from space. I mean, it was like beep, beep. It was like steady. And, and I was saying to my friend, do you hear that? He's like, yeah, what is that? I said, well, ever since I talked to John Keel on the phone, I've had this beeping on my phone. And he was so jealous. He was like, you talked to John Keel? I was like, yeah, because I was ahead of the curve. Okay. I was the lone weirdo into the subject. And all my artsy fartsy hip New York city, downtown friends were like, Oh, that's just so not cool. That suddenly they realized UFOs were cool. And then they were like all over me, like, Oh my God, you have to put me in touch with John Keel, you know? And you know, it was like things had changed and, uh, I wasn't going to give his phone number out. There's just no way. I said, if you weren't right to John Keel, go right ahead. But I'm not, I'm never going to give anyone's phone number out. Um, but anyway, I don't know how we got that whole subject, but, um, it's just been a great journey. It's just been a spectacular, great, fun, challenging, spooky, amazing, inspiring, and still inspiring. And I, it always will be, you know, you you are a receiver, Susan Fenston, clearly, uh, both you and this young lady here, both of whom's hair looks outstanding tonight. And oh, my, thank you. And, and uh, maybe you want to mention, um, never mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to wish you guys a very happy International Women's Day. It's great to talk to my New York homegirls. I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Maryland's own, soon to be the neighbor of one quantum witch, Priscilla, uh, Deb's data dojo, also known mm -hmm. as Study of UAPs. Thank you for letting me barge Thank in you. on your day. Thank I'm you, DJ. Green for the heart chakra. It was good to talk to you today, too, Susan. Always. And, uh, love you guys. Thank you. Thank okay, you, DJ. Okay. Peace. Thank you for the Peace invitation. out. Hi. Okay, so... Um, Are we still on? Oh yeah, we're still going. Okay, good. good. Um, so I had a question. Um, oh, but I've got to ask the rice paper question before I forget. Mm. <laughs> Do you use rice paper? No, <laughs> for your I don't. Artwork? I have. It's just a regular. I'll get it. Hold on. Um, for for those who are not aware, while she's looking, um, she she does a, a lot of the the ink painting. Oh yeah, okay. I I have some of those. Okay, I was just, just curious. Just regular old paper. And here you can see my... And, and what 
do you think it's because of your interest in ufos that you do extraterrestrials so often because it seems like that inspires you a lot i've never done this type this is recent all of this ink drawing stuff comes from being inspired from ufo twitter i'd never really done anything like that before i what i used to do were um oil paintings of like old what looked like old sepia Victorian photographs of seascapes and landscapes. And then I would just paint in little UFOs in them. And um, it's all very serious stuff, of course. And a couple of other odd and end, very large paintings. Um, it just sort of happened. I wasn't, I didn't really know to join UFOs in art right away. Um, I was sort of in an abstract phase and, not really knowing what to do with my art. And my my ex-husband was like, I was like, well, I don't know what to paint. He goes, well, just paint what, paint, paint what you like, you know, paint what's important to you. And then it was like, oh, UFOs, oh, that's perfect. And then I just, it was all from there. It was just paintings, UFOs. But it wasn't these these drawings really just came from doodling from spending a lot of time on ufo twitter and um they started out kind of rough and then they just got kind of better and better and uh it was just really reignited my my love of art i hadn't done art in a long time so it was nice to have just this flowing and it was just flowing and flowing the summer and the fall last year i mean i would be doodling and drawing and drawing and then i would i wake up the next day and drink coffee and then I'd look at like five or six, like very detailed drawings that I really didn't, I, not that I forgot that I drew them, but it was more like they were just like gushing, like just gushing out of me. So it's just been really exciting to be able to, to do that, that be able to make that magic with the, with the, with the brush. It's the best thing, the best. Yeah. So I actually um, have done some painting and I feel like I'm almost hesitant to do paintings on this subject because it might be a little too overwhelming because I'm already feel like I'm so driven to do <laughs> something I'm so no, driven you to, uh, yeah I, I I'm hesitant it's so weird I've I've done a lot of uh, different types of paintings um, I, I've been told I have a primitive style um, and I've done a work with CG um, but I feel like if I if I tap into that I don't know what place I'll end up um, I feel like I'm already a little overwhelmed with the meditation experiences that I have and things like that. But some people think that when we um, do art, we access something similar to that dream that you had that might be like a different plane. Um, like, yeah. you know, I wish I wish Chris was here because she might be able to talk about um, the Akashic Records um, and that uh, that other plane that that beyond the veil as you said earlier um and doing art sometimes kind of unleashes that well the art i think is the bridge between the two or multiple worlds it's the bridge it's connecting us with the unseen and the unknown and 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 trying to bring it down into our our carbon and our essence and our molecules because this is something that is it's just not it's not really human it's not human and if you really want to get into 
aliens i mean are they from earth do they live in the earth do they live underground are they in a different universe are they in a different planet are they coming from time or the, the past the future nobody knows so when you're when you're do, dealing with this subject i mean yeah you could do like lighthearted stuff you could do pretty paintings you can do and like sometimes you really just don't have control over what you're doing it just kind of it just kind of happens you know um so many good artists that, that do great work and it's all interesting in different styles. And I think it's a great way to kind of bring these things together and help, um, understand, understand what we're thinking, right? Cause this, this is our, this is our gig. You know, this is us trying to deal with, with something we don't really know anything about. And, um, I think we're doing a pretty good job for the most part. You know, and I think the yeah. world is ready for some some newness, right? I yeah. mean, look, they're not going to come down and stop the war in Ukraine. They're not going to stop nukes. They haven't done anything. And I, mm. I, I don't really understand why people think that they're here to save us from ourselves. That, when has that ever happened? <clears throat> we have yeah, a terrible that's... track record as a creature. And every day... I'm just so sad <laughs> people, you know. Yeah, I feel like that's not their job and they know it. Yeah. And yeah. I also I also get <clears throat> this strong sense that they value each and every one of their lives, especially, you know, considering however they're existing or traveling or living or whatever is not always like the safest, right? Like I think they want to they don't want to come here and then go get shot by somebody or something crazy right so that's the sense that i get that they're not going to just kind of engage unnecessarily there's uh it's going to be done with caution um but yeah i understand the concept that you were talking about about trying to use art to explain it also and to because frankly without art um, other people who haven't seen these things or haven't had experiences are not going to yeah. get that visual. So it's, it's yeah. almost like a message to people like this is what's possible. This is what I am seeing. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe one day I'll get to that point where I can do that. I feel like I'm just a little, because I, I, when I paint, I get into a zone, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, oh, that's it's great. Like, Right. Yeah. I get into a zone and I'm like, well, like, well, how long will I be sucked into that zone if I do that? You're going <laughs> to you know? be sitting there doing it for so long. You're going to forget to make dinner <clears throat> and the sun's going to go down and you're going to be hungry <clears throat> and you mm -hmm. didn't make any spaghetti. And you're, that's what happened to me. I get so, so submerged in it. Mm -hmm. And um, I haven't done, I've taken a little break. Cause I've got some other stuff I'm, I'm working on, but I was just looking at some of my old drawings and I think, yeah, I'm going to get jump right back into that. I just, I have to be in a really, I have to be in a good mood. And I just think that I'm so sensitive. I'm kind of responding to what's going on around me. And the fact there's a war going on, does it make me feel too cheerful or like, up, like it's not, it's not that I'm not optimistic, but I just don't feel like that, that effervescence, like, yeah, let's do some art. I'm just kind of concerned about what's going on in the world, but That'll change. And, uh, but I recommend it because look, art is so important to the phenomenon because we wouldn't have the children's drawings from the aerial school. I mean, all of their, 
their their memories and everything that went down on paper and and every witness who ever scratched anything out on a napkin i mean it's like artifacts these are like so important like the dead sea scrolls all of this this stuff like cave paintings think about how important cave paintings are and right. what they tell us about humanity and and what was going on inside of their minds and their their lives and how it transcended just the eating and reproducing aspects of life that there was a a transcendence going on and you know let's not make the mistake to think that all art is about god you know because everything they find that's prehistoric or paleolithic a little carving it's like oh it's the lion god it's like well maybe it was just a lion i mean it doesn't has to be a god right i mean so anthropologists yeah. and you know they, they rush to judgment on these artifacts so but these artifacts are incredibly important that's why i think art to end the phenomenon as relates to the phenomenon is very important you know bud hopkins yeah. was an artist as we were talking about yeah. on twitter earlier yeah it's it's interesting because it also serves another purpose when people present those pieces the viewer has a chance to respond and it's almost like a test in a way if they respond as if they're afraid or if they respond as if they're comforted you know mm -hmm. it's it's and it, it's really interesting it is a little bit like a roar shock you know um and i mentioned that because someone showed me a painting of a being that supposedly spoke to Clifford Stone. Oh, that's a siren going by. Okay. That's mine. <laughs> yeah. Firehouse um, down the block. Yeah. Someone showed a, a painting that was supposedly a being that had interacted with Clifford Stone. And when I looked at it, my response was, it just looks like a person with a different face mm -hmm. to me. Um, other people, when they see images, are terrified like it really mm -hmm. freaks them out. So it really is almost like the what you present. Uh, it's like a test almost to see how yeah. people are going to respond to that. It's interesting. Yeah. Some people are very terrified by their experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's natural. I can completely understand it. I, I just cannot imagine being confronted mm -mm. with anything yeah, like that. I think that, you know, that's where we have a lot of confusion because we're getting so many mixed messages and some of these experiencers change their tune later. Like Travis Walton, I mentioned him. I've heard him say, I've changed my mind about what happened to me. I don't think it was what I thought it was. Um, and, you know, some people initially are like, oh, this is going to be a horrible experience. And then later they're like, actually, I think they were, you know, trying to give me this message about world peace and stuff. Um, but ultimately, the bottom line is, you know, I really hope that um, the the contact that we're all kind of hoping for happens so we could get clarity about what's going on there, because that is not how you should be interacting with humans. <laughs> like, that is just not going well. <laughs> no, I not at all. I mean, it's it's a funny kind of system when you think about it. I mean, there's so many theories, you know, what are we, what are we to them? <clears throat> you know, are they responsible for us? You know, did they create us? Um, 
because there are huge gaps in the fossil record that don't explain the rise of Homo sapiens. It's just a big blank spot. Now, in terms of, you know, geology and fossils, there are no big blank spots. There are layers and stories and, and, and stones that tell the stories of everything from comets hitting the earth to, you know, everything else. So I'm willing to accept that, you know, I'm not so religious that I can't um, incorporate something into my world, you know, my perception of the world. Um, I'm, I'm happy to entertain almost any idea. I mean, I've read just about every book that there is and have taken it all like pretty seriously. You know, I don't, I don't think everyone's a liar. I don't think everyone is, is just trying to make a buck. I think that there are serious people who've had very real experiences and they're doing their best to um, interpret and share. And then there's all of the people who probably will never tell their stories, have never told, will never tell and, and on and on. And there's, there's that gap, right? There's that, blank spot in the record right and there's also right. the whole weird washing phenomenon where someone has an experience and they they tell the story but they kind of leave out details so they don't appear completely crazy you know they don't yeah. that's that's yeah. common and and i think that partly is lingering stigma you know Absolutely. it really because <clears throat> I mean, I've I've been telling, like I said, parts of my story at a time. It's very hard to say it all at once. Because when you say it all at once, that's when you know you're like, okay, people are gonna think that I'm just crazy or you know whatever. Like so, so you're cautious, right? You're mm -hmm. cautious about what you reveal. But you're certainly right that there are people who are holding on to their stories people who may not even be a part of any UFO community. Um, mm -hmm. And I've certainly had, since I started with all of this, like I said, totally out of the blue, not even related to the UAP sighting I had, which was probably about five years ago, um, but just totally out of the blue was felt this compulsion to do this. Um, when it happened, people started telling me those stories privately in messages. Mm -hmm. So I know I knew and very few um, were, you know, brave enough to come out and share it in a public way. Um, those people, I put their stories on um, my webpage, the UFO Connector, because I wanted to help them um, get the chance to tell people this is what's going on. I, I don't I don't like when we ignore experiencers. Um, and then yeah. it's just so many that are not there yet. You know, there's so many that are, but, but I think it's getting better. I think the fact that people who are coming out um, from significant positions, coming out and being honest about what happened with them is mm -hmm. helping. <clears throat> I'm, I'm it's still like, slow. It's still baby mm -hmm. steps, you know, and um, we have a lot of sort of little battles and skirmishes within the, the community and with, you know, people who are, anti-experience or whatever that means and are averse to woo whatever that means because without woo and experiencers we don't have anything right there isn't anything yeah. and if well, it weren't if it weren't weird and bizarre and just mind-blowing 
no one would be interested in it. It would just be like, oh, it's like studying a new form of algae. You know what I mean? It's because yeah. it is so powerful and because it is the most challenging topic phenomenon. Um, it'll retain its, it's still got that currency and it's, it's, it's still, it's, it's more popular now than when I started getting into mm. this, like yeah. back in the eighties because well, like, that social was, media. That was yeah, that's actually one of my questions that I had for you tonight. I wanted to know um, if you could, as an overview, um, reflect on how uf ufology, if you want to call it that, or UFO research, or just the UFO community, however you want to see it, has changed over the decades. Because um, we know, of course, in the beginning, you know, people were enthusiastic, they were reporting, and then the government turned around and started telling people that they were crazy. Everyone got quiet for a while. Then people would still sneak stories where they could to the media, right? Like the Inquirer. And then, of course, it became like a popular thing for TV shows for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I watched a few um, Unsolved Mysteries where mm -hmm. UFOs were definitely brought up. Um, it, it was a popular thing for Hollywood, although interestingly enough, some of the movies that people saw were actually influenced by people by who came from Project Blue Book, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and they were influenced by apparently the CIA as well, and the military was involved in some scripts like Contact. Um, so I guess I just wanted to know, like, how, how do you see things having changed? Uh, that's a, that's a very, that's a huge question. Um, it's become kind of like a, like a little bit more sharp elbows, you know, there's a lot more sparring going on. There's a lot more challenging and, and it's not just because there's, you know, little, little gnarly, little like spats on Twitter, <clears throat> UFO Twitter. But I, I think that like, because it's like the, the more pressure is, is being applied the more sort of like intense it sort of becomes and people are becoming a little anxious about it. And they're, they're very suspicious of the government and they're very critical of the government and I'm all, you know, fine, criticize the government. That's what it's there for. Be suspicious, be suspicious of our government. Our government has a long track record for reasons to be suspicious of what they're doing. Um, I don't know. I'm really interested in reading Lou Elizondo's book, when it comes out, because I, I think he is, he's going to say some things. We know he can't tell us everything. And boy, I would love to hear, you know, I'd love to just sit down, like just me and him, just, just tell me. And I promised Lou, I won't tell a soul. Just tell me what's going on. Um, I'm excited, but I'm also yeah. grounded because I do know the long view and I do know that there's many ufologists who have lived and died, you know, like Stanton Friedman without ever completely getting across the finish line. Um, what I'm That's hoping is, is that for Stanton and for all of us is that when we do pass on to the great beyond, that there will be a pamphlet that God hands out on the other side. Like, here's all the questions, here's the answers to all the questions. He had. I think they probably already know. They're probably watching every time I add another face to the memorial part of the UFO connector. It makes me really sad. Sometimes I want to cry. I don't know. I get so emotional about it. 
because they're not going to be the ones that are um, there, as you said, to the at the finish line. Um, and they worked so hard. Some of them worked so hard to get us there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just think about like Bud Hopkins and, and Whitley Strieber and, you know, Linda Moulton Howe, who lately has become very criticized and we'll get into that. But I, I, I love these people. These people were like my, you know, to my little guiding lights throughout like all those years of just reading and, and wanting to know more. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of come to really depend on them. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm, I'm very interested. I always will be. And if I don't learn before I leave this earth, um, I will at least be satisfied to say that, you know, I tried, you know. Well, I think what is going to happen next is we're going to turn the page from the story collectors to the science. I really think that's what we're on the verge of. And I think that we're getting, um, we're getting told what science has already existed slowly. Those are what a lot of those drips are about. Um, we're being told what involvement the government has already had slowly also. Um, but I feel like the page will be turned. It's going to be less about things that happened 75 years ago and more mm -hmm. about the discoveries that the scientific community um, will be sharing with us. That's what I think is going to happen next. I hope so. I think that they definitely, the scientists have something to contribute, but I wouldn't, I'm not going to put it all in the science hands because their rulers can't measure certain things and it's no knock on them or their brilliance at all. It just means that we're dealing with something so complicated that that is almost absurd to even start to think about because once you go down that rabbit hole, it's difficult, you know, it's, it's difficult to walk away from. Um, I hope it's a combination of different people of different walks of life, you know, artists, scientists, people or philosophers, people who are interested in spiritual matters. I hope it's a combination of all of it because I don't think science, the way we understand science can tell the entire picture. You know, science still can't really confirm whether there's any life beyond death, but yet I've seen and heard things that, that tell me that there is. So can I prove it scientifically? No, does it mean it didn't happen? So that's, you know, that's, that's part of our challenge is to make all of these things work together and not exclude because it sounds too weird or that's not going to happen or, oh God, there can't be dino beavers. You know, it's like, well, I'm making room for dino beavers. I'm making room for it. Let it, let it walk right by me because I've seen things that just as, you know, weird in the, you know, the scheme of like the baseline of what we consider reality you know, chains and moaning in the middle of my Brooklyn apartment that sounds like something out of the, you know, the London Tower. I can't explain that, but it absolutely happened. So. Right. And I've, I think that, I think that science will eventually, I think that's where I'm at with that. I think, you know, for instance, um, if you, if you look at the right group of scientists, there are scientists who are studying some of the phenomenon in a different way mm -hmm. um, already that have been doing it for decades. Um, 
like people keep saying science needs to be involved. Well, there have been plenty of scientists involved if you mm -hmm. if you know where to look. For and so my example is um, so a lot of people for for centuries have been talking about chi. They've been talking about the chakras. They've been talking about the soul, this internal energy that we have inside of us, inside of us. And now science has a name for it and they call it the biofield. And mm. scientists have studied it. People mm -hmm. are researching it. They're doing studies on it. Um, so I think eventually what will happen is science will catch up to what's already happening and come right. up with an, a name for it. Will they be able to measure all of it? No. But I think that they're starting to understand some things. Another example is Gary Nolan was very yes. interested in that one part of the brain, mm -hmm. which a lot of the people who heard that go, that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. um, people who are into the paranormal have said that, you know, that's, that's like part of the whole third eye thing, you know, um, you know, obviously we have the front and then the, also the back. And then there's people who do the um, T5 who say, well, yeah, of course we, we are um, like antennas, you know, mm -hmm. like little beacons. So I feel like science can marry this concept and be effective in doing so. I think some people will really appreciate that. It'll help yeah. bring more people in. Well, listening to Gary is very um, is very exciting because he's a brilliant guy and he's willing to take on subjects that have been taboo for a long time and handle them in a, a sober, methodical, intelligent way. So important. So that part, yes, absolutely. Um, so we're just in the beginning. I mean... We really are just in the beginning. I mean, if, if there's going to be any massive disclosure, it's going to be, it's going to just happen. If it's like a mass sighting or if there's some communication or something, then that's the way it's going to be. But the, I don't think the government's going to be handing out any, any great big announcements lately, especially when we've got a war going on and we've got problems with Russia and all of that stuff that I hate, politics and right. war and endless aggression. And, you know, it just seems like, what's the point? <laughs> like, yeah, I just awful. don't get it. I mean, maybe because I grew up in the 1960s, you know, I have this sort of love, love everybody kind of thing. I just don't understand what the point of like, you know, any of this is. And it's, it's really holding us back. And, uh, you know, once you get to be a certain age and you've seen this sort of happen over and over and over again, you think this is just us. Right. What it a, is, it is exhausting. <clears throat> and I think, you know, a lot of people want the giant big disclosure despite everything that's going on in the world. And of course the timing is terrible, but I think it won't happen because the drip method is so much more palpable Mm -hmm. And I also, and I, and I've said this a few times, I think the UFO community is like the guinea pig for how this is all being revealed anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like, we'll throw this out, see what happens, see if that's going to work. If it, if it worked well, we'll push it to another level. Um, it will throw this out, see what happens, see what the problem is. If it doesn't work, we're just going to move on to something else. 
Um, and and I see it over and over in, in the time that I've joined the uh, community. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what's happening with that. And I, I just don't think we're ready for like someone just standing up and saying, A, B, C, this is it. <laughs> not, not entirely. I think it would be a real shock to most of the population. I think that we still have to go on with our, our very human lives. But when you think about what the powers that be are going through right now, we're looking at, we're at a very interesting point in history where we're seeing the control of the masses on such a scale between, you know, social media, technology, big tech, um, population control, living in the kind of a neo-feudal world, you know, with no real one government, but sort of a lot of shifting alliances. I think we have governments really on the power flex with facial recognition technology, social credit systems. I think that we're watching our governments right now throughout the world, just going through these like power sort of pulses, you know, like, like the whole COVID thing was like a blueprint for how to mass control populations. And I think this is, this is going to work against any kind of refreshing, honest, amazing, liberating, uh, exhilarating, cathartic experience because we've got the government and everything that's in controlling us working in the opposite direction against liberation, against free thought, against not being controlled and monitored constantly. So it's really up to us. Right. We can only yeah. just keep pushing this along because I think we've got other forces against us that are sort of much greater and much more like a, a tsunami, like a tidal wave in terms of power and control than we had in America in the 1950s and the 1940s when this was all just kind of beginning. Right. The dawn of the modern right. UFO age. This was minuscule back then compared to the control systems that are in place now. I mean, they're working on ways to control cryptocurrency, right? Right. There's always the, the beauty of having cryptocurrency is to be outside of, you know, the, the, the system. So the, our system is now trying to greater control that, greater control almost everything. So good luck. Yeah, yeah it's funny. It's just the, the thought about what's going on with marijuana came through my head when you said that even that, that was like, well, you, you know, like how they want to tax it and control who grows it and control how it's dispensed. They were never going to let us do what we wanted. They were yeah. going to tax it. They're going to control it. They're going to corporatize it. They're going to put things in it the way they put in cigarettes. You know, cigarettes is not pure tobacco. Cigarettes are loaded with all kinds of chemicals right. that would shock you if you really started thinking about it, that keep the burn even, that keep them burning, the, the chemicals in the paper. When you think about what that, if you just smoke normal tobacco that you grew in your backyard, I don't think it would be nearly as toxic as lighting up a cigarette that you bought at the deli. So, right. Yeah, there's a lot of money in marijuana, and they know it. So, yeah. So I mean, I, I see, own. I see it, but I also see the flip side where there are people fighting against that control system. Mm -hmm. um, e even um, the director of Intel was, you know, making the point that we have 
way too much confidentiality, like way too much uh, secrecy um, that it's gotten to the point where um, even like an email about like where you're going on the weekend is like being labeled top secret and it's bogging down the system. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because actually it's like a full circle when you think about it, because all of this started with their concern that the system was going to be bogged down by reports. All the stigma started because of that. They wanted it to stop bogging down on reports because it was just too overwhelming for them. And now we're at the other extreme, right, where all things are being uh, classified mm -hmm. and therefore they have to declassify. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so it's like they got bogged down in both ways. So, yeah, so there's like a, I think, a fight that we're not quite seeing, but we're getting some hints of going on behind, behind the scenes about that power struggle. Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot going on. So right. um, people are still seeing things. Those Tic Tacs are still, I'm sure, bobbing around out there somewhere. They don't just go oh, away. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. There's still people who, pilots who've seen things, police. It's just going to continue yeah. to happen. And um, it's just such a fantastic, fertile land of lore. You know, so much from the mm -hmm. beginning, from, you know, the Adamski era, you know, and then into mm -hmm. the 1960s and then into the 70s and then the 80s. And now, now it's very high tech. I mean, we weren't really thinking about Tic Tacs back in the 1970s. You know, it was still like the Travis Walton era, you know, of the, right. the you know, take you up in the spaceship and, you know, terrify you and then put you back down and. You know, I mean, the thing is, like, even if you don't believe Travis Walton, and I know that people who don't, I don't have enough facts to really analyze it and really come down on one side or the other. But the fact is, is that it's not just Travis Walton. You know, there are That's a lot of, so you know, <clears throat> he's not just the one lone guy. Right. So I actually felt inspired uh, at one point to look up a quote that I love. Um, and it actually is from uh, the first time I heard it was a movie called Millennium, which is about time travel. Um, and and I'm going to read the quote. It is. Okay. And apparently I, I did not know it. it's Winston Churchill. Churchill. It is now is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. So, well, everything. Every beginning will have an end, and then you yeah. work slowly to the middle. <laughs> yes, and I think we're at the end of the beginning, our beginning chapter on UFOs, which was unfortunately a very dark time in many ways. I think we're at the end of the beginning chapter, and I think we're about to hit chapter two, and I'm excited for chapter two. I'm especially excited for the epilogue, which hopefully we'll all get to see. <laughs> but I'm in the meantime, <laughs> I want to hear, I want to hear more. I never hear, I, I read a book and I'm like, well, I'd like to hear more. I'd like to hear a whole book about like that, you know, like in the yes. Skinwalker Ranch book when they talked about certain things and they just went right on to something else. And I'm still stuck on that one thing. I'm like, wait a minute, wait, wait, tell us more, you know, right. 
I want to hear more about what Akatsuki saw. I want to hear in much greater detail. I want to see him do a drawing of what he saw. I, I mean, mm. I'm very interested in that because, because that's just weird, okay? That's not your normal alien spaceship or, you know, ghost story. Or when you have something just manifesting itself in front of you in, in, a, in a very intelligent and directed way, it just defies all of our other narratives. And that's just incredible to me. That's like the highest form of art right mm -hmm. there, that they can create this, right? Whatever is happening in Skinwalker Ranch, be it earth energy or from above or from the magnetism in the area or the, the energy that's coming from that place, because they've done measurements, they've done some scientific um experiments with readings and, and things like that in the area. And apparently there's something very charged about the, the mineral life in that part of the world. So I want to hear more about that, but they just, it's a very skinny book. You know, they could have. Yes, I agree. Gone they a little bit further in places. Yes. I'd like to go back. I wonder if that was Pentagon censorship a little bit. I do. Oh yeah. But they said yeah. it was a big book, and I think I felt the same way. Um, so there, there, a couple of things came to mind just now. Um, one was, um, you know, some people have talked about um, crop circles being done with electromagnet uh, waves, essentially, mm -hmm. right? And then that it has to do also maybe with gravitational waves, and that is perhaps a form of art. And while we were talking earlier, I was thinking about whether or not, you know, these visitors had a form of art other than, of course, their symbols that we sometimes hear about. But now, now that you've mentioned this part again and said that that might be their form of art, it's almost like you answered a question I was thinking in my head. <laughs> well... I think the crop circles are absolutely a form of art and art that has a much greater meaning than just art. I think that, you know, with the mathematics and the fractals and all of that stuff that goes into it, um, it's very precise. It's very directed. Um, the spaceships themselves, if you want to call them spaceships, oh, the yeah. craft that people have talked mm. about for ages, the beauty the beauty of these things, the way that they're described as, as almost like being alive, like the, the machines themselves of actually being alive, that there's like a sort of an exoskin that's a living light, light emanating. That's all, they're beautiful. This stuff is beautiful looking, okay? Silver discs and Tic Tacs and <clears throat> the design art and science are very connected and if they're not trying to do art the way we think of art they are absolutely ex excelling as artists because of the beauty of these the, of the things that they have and the things that they've done i mean it's like you're like speechless and it leaves you kind of speechless just looking at them you know they're not just like you know like a bus it's just very utilitarian these things are just like they're just showing off you know i mean they're just yeah it just goes that's, beyond that's true they could be doing a really big presentation for us and that that leads to another thing that i was thinking earlier 
um, when you were talking about them basically sending out a signal that some of us are picking up. I was thinking, how often are they trying to communicate, but we're just not hearing it? I don't know. There could be a whole plan involved. There could be a, a you know, a time and a place for everything, right? They reach certain levels where they have certain tasks to do. Because I, I think that there is definitely a very serious involvement I don't think it's just random or whenever they feel like it. I think they're, because I, I just don't get the sense that this type of intelligence is just bored and just doing things for the hell of it. I think that there is a very, uh, there's a script, you know, there's a book, there's a, there's a script that's being played out and it's being done in, in a, in a, in, in such a way that it's almost imperceptible, but they go in and out, you know, when you, when you listen to Preston Dennett's uh, accounts of, especially what always comes to mind are the flying saucers that appeared at drive-in movies. Have you ever listened? I, I, I mean, he, he referred to that book actually recently. I spoke to him. <laughs> that is amazing. That is absolutely an out and out display. I mean, to dart behind some trees or dart into the ocean. When people are looking, they don't want to be seen. But when they're showing up at a drive-in movie in the middle of California in the 1950s, I mean, what is to explain that? That is a deliberate, here we are. They're not doing that right now. So I think that there's a reason for all of this and it's, and it's, it's coming in like phases. Yeah, right. and it, it it really is interesting because all these things just click in so many different things that people have said. And if people are paying attention and they see it as a forest instead of the trees, they'll see how the trees are actually making the forest. And mm -hmm. um, Valet, who's very, very um, in, interested in this topic and has done extensive research and extensive participation, says it is a control mechanism. He thinks that there's um, a system behind the scenes um, that how things are being done is also being calculated, just as you said. So mm -hmm. it's interesting how that clicks into place. And, and I was thinking again about, you know, some of the things that have been seen in the sky that people have filmed. You know, they can see like plasma moving and becoming mm -hmm. something else. Um, they can see it happening before their eyes. They film it. They, um, I think the, the vigil vigilantes of Mexico are a good example. That's a group that has shown numerous sightings in the sky. So I, I wonder what message that is. What art are they trying to give to us that we're not quite catching, but hopefully one day we will? I think if I were them... I would really hope that we would start to kind of, you know, el you know, sort of transcend and become a little bit, I don't know, less violent, less, less aggressive, less, less, there's a lot, we have a lot of problems. <laughs> we yes. really go down the list. I mean, honestly, um, we as a species are, we're very self-destructive. And if we're dealing with an intelligence that's very advanced and, uh, and has transcended all of this, I mean, it must be very frustrating for them to see us in this kind mm -hmm. of turmoil uh, constantly. Um, so I would, I would hope that 
there's some evolution taking place conscious wise and that will inter sort of interconnect into the, all the other gears that it requires for us to continue to advance. But um, I'm not that, I'm not that hopeful. I'm really not for humans. Yeah. Fortunately. It, it just occurs to me just now, we talked briefly a little bit about um, the possibility of like hybridization, like the missing link, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I was just thinking everyone's assuming that the, the aliens are breeding with us to make hybrid children for their benefit, but maybe they're just hoping to breed out our aggression. <laughs> like just eliminate it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they have a lot of, they have a lot to deal with then because we have a, what, how many billions of people on this right. earth and we have not just chaos in Ukraine. I mean, it's all over in every continent. Um, there's very yes. little like real solid, stable peace. I mean, you'd have to be living in a middle of the Pacific ocean on an Island somewhere to really be away from all of this. Um, the whole hybrid thing, that could take another 10 hours to, to really kind of break that down yeah. get into. And you know what? Hopefully we'll get to do that again in the future. But as it is, I feel like I've taken a lot of your time tonight and I'm going to. Um, no, it's been good. On. Yes. I don't want to. I don't want to take too much more. I'm going to close it out. Um, okay. So I wanted to let you tell everyone um, where they can find you. And I know that you'll be on UCR. Um, it's Friday, right? Yeah. Talking about fun. the art club. Mm -hmm. I saw that. That's exciting. Um, so can you please let um, let people know where they can find you? Um, on Twitter, uh, Susan Fenston, at Susan Fenston. And um, also on Facebook, same, just Susan Fenston and Facebook. I don't use Facebook as much, but I do check in periodically. Um, I think UFO... Twitter has kept me pretty welded to Twitter for a while uh, now. And so if you ever want to hit me up and say hello, um, that's where I am. And I believe Da Vinci is where a lot of your ink uh, paintings are at the moment. Yes. Oh, and uh, the NFTs. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, I did. A, I did a couple of months worth of NFTs at Da Vinci at Da Vinci gallery. And um I've sold a couple, which is nice, mm -hmm. uh, but I just, I've taken a little break from doing that because I have to sort of concentrate on things that actually make money. <laughs> That's not making any money, right. but a couple of people have bought them and I'm totally, totally flattered and just thrilled uh, that anybody wants to um, buy or look at or be interested in. So thank you for, to everyone for that. Well, if you ever put them on T-shirts, I think a lot of people would want those too. Really? Just thought. Yes, I think I would want one on a T-shirt also. Like but which I, one? Oh, I, you know what? The one that I put on the connector is the one where the uh, entity is in a bathtub. And I just loved it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I should. On, and, I, and I liked the one that you used for the charity, for the um, Paws Middle Georgia yeah. Yeah. Yes, I thought that was uh, quite fun. I guess I, I like I like one. the I like the fun ones. I guess is the right way to put it. But but like if you put I this on, too. 
Yeah, if you put those on t-shirts, I think that you'd find people buying those. I really? have a feeling. Yes, I think so. And there's lots of ways to do that now. With like, uh, I I used Zazzle back in the day. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. still around, but yeah. So I think there that's are a some. I had thought about it, and then I got kind of carried away into the NFT thing, and then I thought, well, I don't want to be like you know, little Miss Merchandiser. But if somebody wants a T-shirt, I mean, I think that's great. I mean, I should, I think I should pick fine. out a couple, or or maybe I should ask people like, if you could have a T-shirt, like which one and just have them done custom instead of like printing up like a whole bunch of them or something like that. Well, the nice thing about digital art nowadays or any art that you put mm -hmm. in a digital format is you really could just um, provide the picture and right. the company will do all the printing for you and take care of the orders and you just get the percentage. Right. But you have to of course find the right one but anywho i was just saying that that might be a fun thing to think about everyone would benefit from having a susan fenston I'm, i would uh, yeah i've already said i think a susan fenston would fit really well with my dojo theme as you can see this is all my ufo stuff behind <laughs> me I, I could put it right here to pretty up my area that's what i'm thinking one day I'll, when i get my taxes i'll take a look and see Put a Susan Fenston piece right there, maybe. No one else well, can see I, this. Sorry. <laughs> I will certainly keep the t-shirt thing in mind because who doesn't love a good UFO t-shirt? Exactly. Mean, cool. I think that'd be so cool. All right. Well, now <gasps> you've given me something to think about. Right. Well, I'm glad that, you know, with your inspiration, I'm so proud that I was able to inspire you. You did. <laughs> so, like, and I you hope did. I inspired you. I, I would love right. for you to start, you know, doing a little drawing and don't, it doesn't have to be a big serious thing, but you could kind of start out and then kind of see yeah. where it goes. Yeah, I I think it would be like I'd be gone for a weekend and everyone would be like, where did she go? And I'd have to come out of it saying, I, I did this painting. <laughs> would, so we'll I think see. you would really love it. I think there's nothing right. more satisfying than making something that you love. And I, I really do. I do. And I just wonder what would come if I brought the two together. <laughs> brought the painting and this topic together what would happen i think i'd maybe meditate first so it would like tell me what to <laughs> show because i i find I, that's why i was saying it earlier i think that if you gave it a try thought of it more maybe as a visualization than trying to clear your thoughts because that's impossible um then you might you might tap into some of that dream and figure it out a little bit um it's incredible the messaging that you can get um, once you open the, yourself up for that. So, yeah, I don't know. Just something to think about. Let me know if you do it. I'd so love much to, know. to think about. I will. Right. <laughs> okay. So, everyone, I'm going to say good night. Thank you for listening or good day, of course. You know, I, I, I tend to joke about, you know, we have some future humans out there. Yes. Um, and I want to say this is Deb from Deb's Dad at Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. If you want to reach me, you can find me at Study of UAPs. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and of course with the Calling All Beings cabbie family on um, YouTube. So have a good day, everybody. Take care. Thank you, Deb. <laughs>